Bible week. Let's open our Bibles together. We'll go to the book of Mark. If you don't have a Bible, um, you'll, you can follow along with us on the Bible app. Uh, you can find us under events there. You can see the Scripture and take some notes if you'd like, or you'll notice our ushers are coming around. They would love to give you a copy of God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, would you just take that one with you? It's a gift from us to you. We want you to have a copy of God's Word. And uh, we are going to be in the book of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we are picking up here, continuing with the parables, uh, these stories that Jesus is telling. And He's especially using some farming, um, agricultural images to kind of clarify what the kingdom is really like. What He's trying to do is like give some, some, something that these people would find common and relatable, like farming. Now, um, I don't know about you, but I am not a green thumb. All right. Does anybody have a does anybody have a green thumb in here? Anybody like self-proclaimed like you're, you're like super shy about that. Okay, I realize that I like okay, if I asked that question where I grew up, hands would be going up everywhere because I grew up in the cornfields in the farmlands of Ohio. In fact, uh, I, my best friend growing up was a farmer and so I've done some bailing. Hey, I know all about that stuff, but I am not a farmer. Not very good at this kind of stuff. I I've tried uh, gardening uh, a little bit. Uh, I had a little bit of success with with tomatoes in the pe- in the past. The kind that you know they've already grown up a little bit. You buy them already, like, and you just kind of put them in the ground. I've had a little bit of success there. I, I have a. Uh, some of you have seen this. I have a bonsai tree in my office. Have you seen this one? It's because I was raised on a Karate Kid. Is why I have that. But my goal is not for this thing to really grow. My goal is to not kill this thing. Okay. And so I checked this week as I was thinking about this. It has like 10 dead leaves and a few more on life support. So I'm not sure that it's doing really well. Okay, I'm not very good at growing things. I did, uh, I've told you about this one. I did have a, uh, a coffee tree in my house at one time. Can I tell you about this? I had a coffee tree and it, and it was actually you know bigger than I was because I bought it off of somebody when it was four years old. They'd already done all the hard work. And so I got to have this in my house. It was mostly because Crystal was allowing me to uh, indulge my inner hippie nerd so that I could try to make my own coffee, which was super fun, not very successful, uh, but and it started to grow a little bit more than it was supposed to, which is why we no longer have that in our house, but I'm not good at growing things because I'm not a farmer, but I am a pastor, and so I am intensely interested in things growing. I want to see God's church grow. Anybody else want to see that? You know the hard part about that, though, don't you? I can't make the church grow. I'm looking around at some of you, and, and, and I just want you to know, if you come to our church, I, I want you to grow. I am praying for you by name, and I, and I want so badly for God to grow you spiritually, but I can't make that happen. I can't even make me grow, which is a weird spot to be in, to, to, to want something to happen, but not be in a place where you can make that happen. We're completely dependent on God, right? And so if you have ever wanted somebody to grow spiritually, maybe you could think of somebody that that is near and dear to you. Maybe you have a friend who's really struggling and you just really want to see them get to a better place. You uh, want them to be able to grow. Maybe maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's somebody that's, that's not safe. And you're wanting 
God to do a work there. Parents, I know you feel this with your kids. Like you want to see kids mature. We want to see them grow. We want to see them grow spiritually. If you want that, if you have a heart for our community, if you want to see the lost people come into Christ, if you want to see our church growing in maturity and multiplying disciples, then we throw ourselves into this. And and praise God, God uses us in this work, but it's still His work, isn't it? It's His kingdom, and only He can grow. His kingdom. And so I think Mark chapter 4 is going to give us an encouraging promise. And so if I could give you a big idea of the text, here, here it is. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. You can count on God to grow His kingdom. You know that? You can count on God to grow His kingdom. Here I am, Mark chapter 4. Uh, I'm, I'm in verse 21. You follow along with me as I read. Mark said, And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For the, to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Father, I'm praying. I want so badly for our church to grow. We want to grow in maturity and multiplication. We believe that healthy things grow, and yet you're the one that has to do that. So I'm praying that even today, you would just encourage our hearts. Remind us of this truth. Give us the confidence and increase our faith that you will be faithful to your promise, that you will cause the growth. And So we're praying that you would even do that hearts and the lives of the people that are closest to us, that we long to see that happening. I pray that you would do that in my heart. We would look more like you. You are at work. Give you praise and glory. Well, let me give you uh, three encouraging promises from these parables that we're going to look at. Here's one if you're taking notes. Here's the first one that we see. Uh, receive what's inexhaustible. Receive what's inexhaustible. Okay, so he's giving farming images, but here in verse 21, we get something that's not really an agricultural reference. He says, it is a lamp brought in. And so I've I've got a picture of this because I really want you to be able to see it. Hopefully this is helpful to you. This is what a lamp would have looked like in Bible times. It's a, it's a clay lamp. You can see the big hole. That's where they would have poured some of the oil into it and, and they stick a wick in it and you light that, that, that so that you have a, a lamp in the house. Come on, somebody tell me, what is the purpose of a lamp? To give light. Okay? But what's weird in this, in this text here, uh, the, the, the original language, instead of is a lamp brought, it's actually more literally translated, does the lamp come? Not just a lamp, but it's the lamp. And what's crazy is the lamp is doing the action. Now, Normally, lamps don't come in on their own, which is why we translate it, it's brought in, un- unless, unless, of course, this is no ordinary lamp. I think we're getting a little bit of a hint of his ministry. What he's saying is, Jesus is the lamp. 
Jesus is the light. In fact, John chapter 8, he told us that. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so Jesus came to be that lamp. He came to reveal truth. He wants you to be able to see it. And that's what we saw last week when we saw that he was explaining the parables to the disciples. Remember that? We see that back in verse 11. Back in verse 11, he was telling them, here's why I'm trying to say, I'm giving you these parables, I'm trying to clarify it, and, and then he has to explain some of those parables to his disciples. But verse 11, he said, the reason I'm doing this is to you has been given the secret of the kingdom. The disciples have been given this, this secret. That secret is kind of a, a, a mystery. And, and that means that it can't, you can't find it out on your own. You're, 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 you're not going to know it unless somebody tells it to you. It has to be revealed. It has to be given to you. And we've already seen what the secret of the kingdom is, right? We saw that in chapter 1. Jesus came in, in, in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. He came proclaiming the gospel. And, and what was the secret? He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. What that means is, we've already sung that this morning, what that means is that it's here. Say, where? Where, where, where is it? What's it's in the person of Jesus. The kingdom started when the king showed up. And so he's coming to preach, to reveal this truth, because he wants you to be able to see it because he's the light. And so what do you do with the light? Well, Jesus says there, do you bring it in and put it under a basket or under a bed? And obviously that's a fire hazard. But as Awkward and as weird as that sounds, that's his point. It, like, you don't do that. You, you don't go down to Ikea and, and, and you decide that you're going to buy one of those really cool hipster chandeliers and bring it home and then stick it in a closet somewhere. Unless you're like me and you just can't figure out how to assemble this stupid thing. But where do you, where, where, what do you do with it? It says you put it on a, you put it on a stand. That's the point is what he's trying to say. You put it somewhere visible and you let it shine so that it's going to stand out and nothing's going to stay hidden. Now why is that significant? That's really important for Jesus to have said about his ministry. Because remember, not, everybody, not everybody's disciples. Which is actually one of the reasons why he's telling these parables. And some people don't get it. We saw this in verse 12. One of the reasons that he's telling parables is those who believe, they, they get it. But those who are not, he says, I tell these parables so that they, that's those who are on the outside who don't believe, they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So like they, they physically hear Jesus. But they can't really hear him. They can't understand. Which is why he told that parable of the sower with those four different types of, of soils. Those are examples of how people are receiving it. And, and the disappointing thing is, three out of four can't hear. Those are not good odds. And, and so you might have been tempted to think that that's the point of what Jesus came to do. Like he came to start a massive game of hide and seek or keep away from humanity. Like he wanted to tell these stories to try to confuse people. Like he wants to, like I'm over here, I'm over here. Just kidding, I'm not. 
That's not his point. That is not the goal. The goal is for him to be a light. The goal is for him to shine. But for some, Jesus is going to remain a a secret, a mystery that they're not going to understand because they've rejected him. And they do not believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. But what Jesus is telling us right here in this parable is the light's coming in. And there is coming a day when all will see him and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will see him whether they want to or not. Because he says, verse 22, nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nothing, nor is anything secret except to come into the light. That's the plan. The plan is to shine. Get this out there. Bring the secret into the light. Now, I don't think this is um, Mark's emphasis here, but I do think this is totally appropriate application. You and I now, listen, listen. You and I shine the light of Christ into this dark world. You know that? Of course, He is the light. And yet, in this parable, or the parallel passage in, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said something really interesting. He said uh, to us, He said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Sound familiar? but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. So in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Well, they do. Get to shine the light of Christ in your office. The person sitting in the cubicle next to you, down the hall. They're going to see the truth they won't understand it. They're going to see it through you. Your home, your neighborhood, you are the light. But do you know what happens when Jesus' light shines? When, when the light shines, it reveals what's hidden. So if we were to come over to your house after church, uh, which if it's anything like our house before church, uh, you would not want to invite us right after church. But if we were to come over and, and you had like, we had a mag flashlight and, and we decided that we were going to shine that light on all the, the dark corners and closets and cupboards in your house, uh, it's possible that we might see some things we don't like. Fair? I'm not saying anything about your housekeeping, but you know, that's what light does. It exposes. And so when Jesus' light comes, that means it's going to reveal people's hearts, how they're responding to Him. And they can't hide that. Which is why He told us that parable of the sower. Because we see multiple people responding differently. We saw some people like the seed that had been scattered on the path. They have hard hearts. They don't want to hear it. They They just reject it. And so Satan comes and he takes it away. Then we have other people that were like the soil, the, the, the rocky soil. And, and, and that actually got pretty exciting pretty quick. I mean, people, man, people are coming to crisis. This looks awesome. And they, they, they want to be a part of this. And they're, they're super intrigued. And, and we've got a crowd of people. It looks good on the outside. But then we realize it's just kind of shallow and 
superficial and they can't stand the heat. And, and then we have some that lands in the thorns. That's those who have distracted hearts that are just running after all the other things that this world has to offer, not convinced that Jesus really is better. And all of those people Why, verse 23, he, he repeats this. You've already heard this. But he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that word is super important because that word hear has been used ten times in chapter 4 alone. Anyone think that that repetition might be significant somehow? What he's saying is like, don't just get so caught up in the imagery of the parables like a sower and a lamp or anything and, and miss this exhortation. What Jesus is trying to say is, I want you to hear. I want you to be able to hear me. And the reality is that the only way that you're going to see the light of Jesus is if you can hear this good news of the Gospel with ears of faith. So he says this very interesting phrase here, verse 24. A little play on words. He says, pay attention to what you hear. Or, or more literally, he's saying, look at what you hear. Look, look at what you hear. Hey, come on, somebody. You need to grow. Do you know that? Like, I know you've got somebody else in mind. I know you're thinking about somebody else in your life that you would love to see grow spiritually. You need to grow. And the only way you are going to grow is if you are like the good soil that, that hears the Word and accepts it and bears fruit. It's, it's listening and believing. It's receiving what God has to give to you. And so then he says, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. But basically what he's saying is, to the degree that you can listen and receive, you'll get. God is revealing Himself in the person of Jesus. And so the question for us this morning is, how much of Him do you really want? How much do you really want? What kind of a measuring tool do you want to use? You want a big one? You want a little one? Because that's going to show us what you think about Him and how much you really desire Him. How much do you want? Uh, do, do, do you come with, with like a, a little like tea, teaspoon? and like that's, that's all I really want. I don't really want much of anything. Almost like it's some sort of awful medicine that you're going to have to swallow. And you're like, don't give me too much. It's just like, oh. I don't want this. I don't like his rules. I'd rather do it my way. The Bible's kind of boring. I've got a whole other bunch of things I'd rather be doing. Is that, is that how much you want? Or have you discovered that he's so much better? And, and so you're like, man, forget the spoon. Somebody get me a bucket. I, I, I want to get as much as I possibly can. Is that kind of the desire you have? It, it makes me think of uh, when you go to the movie theaters. Uh, how many of you, when you go to the movie theaters, um, you have to get popcorn. Do we have anybody that, like, when you go, you just have to get, okay, you all are weird. When you go to the movies, you have to have popcorn. It's just kind of a, it's, it's a natural progression when you walk in the door. So, so when my wife and I were newlyweds, the local movie theater that we had had this weekly promotion that they were running. Every week, once, once a week, they, they called it BYOB, bring your own bucket. Literally, if you brought in your own bucket, you pay this price, they're going to fill it. Okay, 
And it took our community a while to figure out they're not kidding. And, and, and so, like, once everybody started realizing that, then they actually had to change the rules to uh, a bucket that fits on your lap. Because people were literally dragging in their trash cans for people like, hey, you said you were going to fill it, right? I love that. Why not? Listen, if they've got it and they're willing to give it, then why not go big? Do you have that kind of eagerness to listen to the Word of God and receive what He's given to you? Are you convinced that He is greater? That He is glorious? Do you, do you believe that He rewards and that He wants to give generously? Is there a hunger in you to say, God, give me more. Come on, don't stop. Give me, bring it on. I want more of you. I don't think God is ever offended by, by our hunger and desire for them. He, he's, not, he's not up in heaven like, so rude. How could I can't believe you would ask me for more after all that I've given to you? No, no, no. Whenever we come eagerly to open the pages of Scripture and to cry out to God, God, show me more of you. I want to know you. I want more than I've had before. He's answering, yes, yes. Come on, keep asking me. I've got more to give. And so when somebody shows up with a bigger bucket, when somebody drags in the trash can with this mega bucket like, God, I want more of you, he's like, Yes, there's somebody who gets it. Of course I can fill that. And then watch, he dumps on more. He pours it on. Because the more that you have ears to hear with a heart full of faith and a hunger to know Him, the more He gives. And the more you know, the more you want. And the more He gives, so the more you know. And the more you want, and the more He gives. And it's never going to stop. It's never going to stop. Have you thought about that? We are receiving what is inexhaustible. He's never going to run out. We can never fully comprehend this God. And yet He can be known. And He invites us into that. And we are going to spend eternity exploring His greatness. Never get to the He's saying, you can start that now. You can start that tonight. Right before you go to bed. You can start that in the morning. When you get up and you open your Bible. And say, God, I want to know you. I want to know more. Give me more. If you want to grow, then go get a bigger bucket and get ready for Him to fill and overflow. Nothing that you haven't been given. He says, for the one who has, more will be given. He's already given us the secret of the kingdom of heaven. Everything that we have, it's, it's just grace. I didn't do anything to earn this. Simply believing His Word. And that means that if you can hear, and if you can receive, you do want Him, because he's done a work in your heart to change your desire. But there's also a warning here. Verse 25. Because from the one who has not, even what he has is taken away. So it's not just agreeing with information that you've heard. If you do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God, and put your trust in him to 
save you from your sins because he died on the cross in your place. And, and, and follow him in obedience as, as your Lord and desire him. Then it doesn't matter what you've heard. It doesn't matter what facts you can recite. You'll miss the king. He wants you to get it. He wants you to receive what is his offer. To give you the second encouraging promise, note this. Trust him to do the unexplainable. Trust him to do the unexplainable. Verse 26, he goes on, he says, with what, uh, excuse me, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, and then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So here, he's emphasizing growth. Okay, This is a parable. I told you last week it's kind of a comparison. What he's trying to do is clarify this is how the kingdom grows. It's like this. And then he tells us there's another man who's sowing seeds. But, but notice, if you will, verse 27. Look at it again. Notice, what is the man doing? What, what is, what's his action here? Verse 27. It says he, he sleeps and rises night and day. Sleeps and rises night and day. Night and day. What's, it, what's he doing? He's waiting. Anybody like waiting? All right, here's what I want you to do. Moment of honesty, okay? I want you to turn to your neighbor and you're just going to be honest. I want you to just tell him, I hate waiting. Go ahead, tell him. The goal of planting a seed is to get to the end result, right? We want to get the, we want to harvest a crop, but that's going to take a while. You know that? Sometimes that takes a long time. And, and if you're just doing that for kicks, then we can find a whole lot more exciting form of entertainment for you. This is why farmers get into things like cow tipping and, and dragging things through the mud, right? Because, it's, it, dude, if you're sitting on your front porch sipping iced tea watching the corn grow, and then you go to bed and get up in the morning just to do it all over again, it's going to take a long time. It seems like it's not happening. Are you waiting on God to work? Feel like you're waiting? Maybe you're, it, it, it could be discouraging. You feel, this is just taking too long. I'm praying for the same thing. Maybe you're hoping for your husband to really start growing spiritually and take on more responsibility of leading in the home and to be more loving and really pursue you like he once did. Maybe you're waiting on your wife to, you want her to grow and you want her to respond in, in kindness and, and respect in the way that she talks. I know you're waiting on your kids. Like, come on, when are they going to stop disobeying and make wise choices? And, and, and maybe, maybe you've got a, a parent or a friend really close to you that doesn't know Christ. And you've been sowing seeds for years. God, why is this going to happen? If you're trying to you know, invite your neighbors over, you want to get to know them, you want to build a relationship because you're hoping you're going to have some really cool stories about how they gave their life to Christ too. And God, when, when, maybe, maybe you've got a coworker whose life is a mess and you're trying to help. Maybe you are down in the dirt 
looking for any sign of life. Is this thing growing? And, and the more you look at it, it just feels like nothing's happening. I think that's what's happening in Mark chapter 4. Because the first four chapters of, of Mark, uh, we're, we're not seeing the kind of growth that maybe we would have hoped for. In fact, more people, like the religious leaders and the, and the crowds, are not responding to Jesus the way they should than disciples who really are. And man, it can be so disappointing when you're not seeing the results that you were hoping for as fast as you expected. But Jesus is giving us this picture to combat the temptation to give up hope. Somebody needs to know this this morning. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. Look what happens here. Verse 27. It says the, the seed, it, it sprouts and it grows. He knows not how. Like all of a sudden, it starts to grow, and that word to grow there means to, to grow long. Okay, It's like this long, drawn-out process. You see that verse 28? You see first the blade, and then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. It, it takes a while. And how does it happen? Well, the text says that the earth produces by itself. The word there is uh, automatos, where we get our word automatic, meaning it, it, just, it just happens. How? How? What, what does it say? He knows not. Don't know. What, let me ask this, what does the man do to make the seed grow? Answer? Nothing. Maybe you say, well, planted. Yeah, but he could have planted a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That doesn't mean that's going to sprout up, right? He doesn't have any magical touch. There's no special sauce involved. The only growth, any growth that happens is a work of God. It's God's work. That's what he does. In fact, that's what Paul knew that. I want you to see this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, Paul was talking about the growth that he had seen, and he says, I, Paul, I planted, and Apollos, this other dude, he watered so we get this farming analogy here we've got some part to play in this process i planted apollos watered but god gave the growth well it's just amazing that god would allow us to play any part in this and so so we get after it we want to be faithful but we are completely dependent on god to grow his kingdom but but see when, when jesus was telling this kingdom whenever the zealots they were fired up about getting the kingdom. When, when they heard the word kingdom, their ears perked up. They're like, yeah, kingdom. Like, that's what we're looking for. And if they're here in Mark chapter 4, they're probably feeling like, this is just taking too long. I mean, like, why isn't Jesus building an army, right? We, 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 should, we should be taking these Romans out. Like, when do we, when do we get to fight? Says, that's not the way it works. The kingdom's already here. It's growing as the gospel is changing people's lives. So don't be discouraged. What's our big idea this morning? You can count on God to grow His kingdom. And He is going to do it in His perfect timing, not yours. I mean, we want um, drive-through microwaved growth. You know, that's, that's kind of what we're hoping for. And yet, He knows exactly the right time. Look at verse 29. When the grain is ripe, when the time is ripe, at once, he puts in the sickle for the harvest has come. Now that is some end times language. Uh, the, the, the word for sickle there 
um, that's, that's kind of a, a, a farming tool, like a big, long, curved knife that they would use to uh, bring in the harvest. That word is only used in the New Testament here in Mark chapter 4, and then again in Revelation chapter 14. And so it's reminding us that God is going to finally bring in His harvest, and He will be the one to do the work. Count on it. It may be slow, and it, and it may be steady, but He is bringing people in, and He is transforming lives, and He is making them more like Himself. And I realize that for some of you, you're, 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 you're intensely interested in the time frame because you've got somebody on your mind that you're wondering, God, when, is, when are we going to see this happening? I've had the privilege of sitting across from couples in the counseling room who've all but given up hope for their marriage. It doesn't seem like anything's happening here. And, and my, my spouse is not changing. God, what are, when are you going to do something there? And I've gotten to look into the eyes of a parent who's pained by the choices the child is making. Wondering, like, God, when? I didn't raise him like this. When, when are we going to see some of the growth? When are we going to see some of the maturity? You and I get the privilege of sharing the hope of the gospel. That if, listen, if God's Spirit is in them, if that is a reality, if they belong to Him, then God's Spirit is inside of them, which means we have this promise. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Do you know it? This is such a crucial promise. If you need that kind of hope and assurance this morning, Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, I am sure, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he will, he will, come on, somebody say he will. He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And you may not know how, and it might not be in your ideal time frame, but he is going to do it. And so if you are waiting, if you're on the brink of, of giving up hope because you just don't see how this is going to happen, you want to see the change. If you want to see somebody grow, if you want to see our church grow, if you want to see more impact here in Northern Virginia and the gospel going to the nations, then trust God to do the unexplainable because only He can. He's the one who does this work. And i got to tell you, the kingdom is growing. Sometimes, sometimes we get to see it. It's like when you measure, mark off your kid's growth on the growth chart after another year. It didn't seem like it. And then all of a sudden you look back and you go, how did that happen? Hey church, can we trust God to do this growth? So he says to us, receive the inexhaustible. Trust him to do the unexplainable. Then note this. Watch him do the unexplainable. Verse 30, he says, With what can we compare the kingdom? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make its nest in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear. There it is again. You could hear it did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples and explained everything. So, so this question that he asks here in verse 30, you know it's a rhetorical question, right? He's just highlighting um, 
this illustration. And so some of you saw this on the stage, and I'm just going to state the obvious elephant in the room because some of you have been wondering why I put that on the stage. Uh, it, just, I, I realize, uh, hopefully this is going to become clear to you, uh, but this is a mustard seed. It. I found this, I, I didn't even know we had this. We found this in our spice rack. I think we've had this since we were married because who the heck knows what you're supposed to do with mustard seeds. Uh, but I put this up here before the service started, and I'm, I apologize for those of you that this is like bothering you, and, and, and it's been so distracting that this has been up here. Um, I do realize that for some of you, you might not have noticed that this was up here. Why? Because it's super small. That's why. That's Jesus' point. In fact, he says it's the smallest of all the seeds on earth. And he doesn't mean literally for you botanists that are going to get hung up on technicalities. Like, I really, really, did Jesus not go to fourth grade earth science? He knows it's not literally the smallest seed. He's using that proverbially. What he's saying is, it might not look like much right now. Nobody's putting bets on this to turn into anything significant. That's what the kingdom looks like right now. In fact, one commentator suggested that maybe, maybe Jesus couldn't, should have compared the kingdom of God to a, a mighty cedar tree, right? Like the cedars of Lebanon. The, 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 the cedar tree can go like 60, 80 plus feet tall. I mean, that's a lot taller than the ceiling that we have in here. And, and get like six feet in diameter. It, it could be huge. And it was often a, an image of God's power and God's might. And so he could have said that, but instead he's showing us the unexpected roots of God's work in a little seed. Because Jesus didn't come in a tank to take out Israel's enemies. The kingdom of God is not established by political right or by military force or even by strict adherence to the law and keeping a bunch of rules. The, Jesus comes in humility proclaiming the gospel. And when he does, we see a bunch of crowds showing up, right? We've already seen a whole bunch of people showing up. And, and, and those numbers, they're kind of impressive. I mean, a lot of people are coming to hear him, and they're intrigued, and they want to hear more, and they want him to do miracles. And, and, and Jesus doesn't have a problem with that. He's not pushing the crowds away, but he's inviting them to something different. What he's saying is, I want real disciples. But unfortunately, most of them, as was demonstrated by the soil, can't hear the gospel. They reject him as the Christ king. And so if we're watching here in Mark chapter 4, the, the odds and the results of his ministry so far might not be very encouraging right now. But you just watch him. That's what's happening. Verse 32. Yet, when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. And so the emphasis in this parable is not the growth. The emphasis is the contrast in size. What was small is now huge. And everybody got this, okay? Because they know some people. They, they know, uh, let's call them Joe and Dave. Joe and Dave are neighbors in Capernaum. 
And Joe and Dave were just having an argument last week because Joe decided to plant one of these babies in, on his property a few years. And while it was small, now it's turned into this huge bush that's taking over his yard and it's hanging over into Dave's yard. And Dave's kind of ticked off about that. So he gets out his chainsaw. He's ready to take this thing down. And Joe's like, bro, how was I supposed to know it was going to get that big? I mean, have you seen how small this is? What Jesus is saying is the growth is shockingly unexpected. You can count on God to grow His kingdom. Someday, we're going to see it. One day, we will see the finished product. We will see the kingdom of God in all its glory, encompassing the nations, and all of us will drop to our knees and say, wow, wow, look at what God did. None of us could have imagined that. Nobody could have expected this. But that mighty kingdom starts with a humble king. Simple invitation for you to believe. So can I encourage you? Don't despise the little things. Don't despise the little ways that God is at work. It might not seem spectacular right now. Maybe He's disciplining you right now. Maybe He's forming you, making you more like Himself. Maybe He's proving Himself faithful to you. Maybe He's loving you. Maybe He's caring for you. God is at work. We're praying for a hundred stories of lives transformed by the glory of God. Because that's what happens when you encounter the glory of God. You know that, right? They're going to stay the same. You're either going to run and hide or it's going to change you and it's going to become your greatest desire. But I know that some of you might think that your story is not really all that big of a deal. You don't have like a really flashy, cool story. Yours doesn't, it's not shocking and glamorous like somebody else's testimony. Maybe you feel like you're still waiting for your story to happen. I want to encourage you. God is not done. You can count on Him. And what might seem small and insignificant to you now become going to become one of the stories that we tell when we're sitting around the court of the kingdom of God someday. This is what Jesus in my heart never would have expected. I'm praying that we're going to have our faith increased by His Word. God has given us this promise. We can count on Him to grow His kingdom. And He told us, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And He tells us, hey, come on, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest. I'm praying that somebody in here is going to believe that and get after the mission of spreading this good news with a confidence, with a hope that God is going to do the work. He's going to grow it. Someday, we're all going to stand in awe of the Lord. Father, I'm praying for that. I ask that You would impress these things upon Your church's heart. That we would love You, delight in You, trust in You. Lord, I know that someone here needs to be encouraged that You are at work and that You will stay faithful to the promises that You have given to us. You are the only one who can cause the growth. 
will do it. So, Lord, we're we're praying for our city. We're praying for Fairfax. We're praying for Northern Virginia and D.C. For some reason, you have us here for this season, and we're going to believe that you're going to work mightily here. God, would you start in us? Give us a desire to go get a bigger bucket and get to know you more. That we would overflow and shine the light of Christ into our dark community. And if anybody here needs to know the hope of the gospel, I pray that you would open their ears so that they can hear and believe. God, keep working and we'll give you the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing this song together.